Amen. We are in this series in 1 Corinthians, having just begun. We've gone through verse 9 of chapter 1, and this morning we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And as I read these verses, follow along in your Bibles, where Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And he means Peter. The word Peter in Greek means rock. And in Aramaic, the word for rock is Cephas. So when Jesus would have called Peter and said, I, you are no longer, or I call you Patros, or in Greek, he would have said, I call you Cephas in Aramaic. So that's what Paul is referring to here. He says, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There are two main questions that arise from this passage of scripture. One, who are you following? And two, what are you depending on? So let's consider the first question. Who are you following? The believers in Corinth are quarreling and they are aligning themselves with either Paul or Apollos or Peter to win their arguments. They're saying, I'm a follower of Paul and this is what Paul says or this is what that means and see, my argument is valid. And the other person says, well, I follow Apollos and this is what Apollos says and my argument is valid. Now, we read in Romans chapter 16 as we were completing our series in Romans, Paul's warning against false teachers, those who would teach a false gospel. There's no way that Apollos and Peter ever caused a division in Corinth by preaching anything that would have been contrary to what Paul preached. Peter and Apollos were not preaching a false gospel. It seems then, and based on the context of what I was saying last week and based on what we will see as we keep going through this book, it seems that the Corinthians, the believers in Corinth, were identifying themselves as followers of a particular person not because of that person's teaching, really, but to provide validity for their own way of thinking and behavior. They're appealing, they're using a name. You know, well, you know, I, I believe this, and, I, and I'm pretty sure Paul says this, right? Or I believe this, 
And I'm pretty sure Peter says this. Peter and, Paul, and Apollos and Paul didn't come in and say contrary things in the church in Corinth. It wasn't that they were creating divisions. Right? They weren't teaching a false gospel. So here they are going through and trying to validate their own thinking. I think we should, or I think we should not, and you can fill in the blank with whatever kind of you know, personal doctrine you've got. And I'm sure that Paul, Apollos, or Peter feels that way too. Right? My apostle is better than your apostle. I mean, that's really what they're doing. Right? My prophet is better than your prophet. He, he, he hears more clearly from God and more accurately. You know, this is what I'm holding to. And that's what they're doing. The Corinthians were interpreting God's word according to their thinking and explaining their own actions in light of their misinterpretations. So they have come to their own conclusions. They're opposing Paul. And they're saying, you know, I think it's something different. And so the primary problem here is not that the Corinthians were being deceived by false teachers, but rather they were justifying their own falsities. So their actions are much more in line with Paul's warning to Timothy, when in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul writes this. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And in here, you know, when you see the word myths, it's just what they make up, what human beings came up with. They're not looking to the truth of God, they're coming up with something, and then they're gathering around them people who will support that point of view. So before we get to how Paul responds to the believers in Corinth, I want to look at the opening chapter of Paul's letter to the believers in Galatia. So the book of Galatians. And in that portion of scripture, his reference of how the Galatians received the gospel provides a useful background for his response to the Corinthians. So in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, this is what Paul is writing, so go to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And listen to this. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, 
Let them be under God's curse. Notice there's two we's in there. We preached the gospel to you, and now even if we preach something else to you, don't believe it. Which means you have to discern what was true. And then he continues. Let them be under God's curse, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, how do you accept the gospel? Not because you say, Paul is better than Apollos. Apollos is better than Peter. Oh, and James is better than all of them. Let me listen to what James has to No. You discern, you receive, you, you, you hear the truth of God, and hearing the truth of God raises faith, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God in Christ alone, you receive this message of salvation, not by yourself, not by your works, not because you're intellectually you know, superior than anybody else who could not receive this word. Nothing of yourself, you simply receive by God's grace this truth. So he says, that which you have accepted, meaning that which you have truly received as the truth of God by the work of God, don't move from that. Don't waver from that. Even if we come and say something different to you later. So it's not about the person who brought the message to you. It's about the message. It's about the truth. It's about God. It's about saying, oh, this is the truth of God. And so he continues. Paul's continuing here in Galatians 1. He says, and uh, what you've accepted, how, you know, the, the, so on. Let the, if anyone does not believe that if they, other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And now, and I now, am I now, pardon me, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1, similar to what we have read in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, Paul is asserting his apostleship based on his calling. He is asserting the truth of the gospel as God has revealed it and has, as God has brought conviction in the hearts of the people and as the Holy Spirit has caused that word to be illumined, to, for our eyes to be opened, for our hearts to burn, for us to say, this is the truth and I respond to this by faith to receive this truth. So he is asserting each of these things and he's asserting the need to remain true to the gospel even if the contradicting voice to the gospel is your own voice. Not just the people around you, not just some false teachers or so on, but you have decided in your mind, well, I think this is what the gospel means. I think this is what the Bible is saying. I think this is how I should live. I, you know, when we sing holy, holy, holy to the Lord, I think this, was, this is what holiness means. And the Bible is saying, Paul is saying, there is a truth of God that is a standard of God that transcends us that has to be received and cannot be contradicted even by your own interpretations and voice. You, you can't say, well, I think this. And, I, and I'm pretty sure you know, this apostle agrees with me. That makes it right. You have to say, how does what I'm thinking line up with the word of God? How does it 
match? How is it true to God's truth? So what is Paul's response to the Corinthians regarding any potential false teacher or false alignment with a person? What, you know, all of these kinds of misinterpretations that stem from faulty thinking and ultimately lead to a false gospel. What's his response? Look only to Christ. Look only to Christ. Christ is not divided. Christ is not divided up and, you know, then you say, well, Paul has this and Peter has this. No, no, Christ is unique. Christ is not like every other man. You don't follow Christ like you would follow another man. Christ stands alone. Follow Christ. Align with Christ. Accept what Christ says, not what you think. And in Christ alone is your identity and answer and power and agreement and unity of mind. So he's pointing to Christ. He says this, this. You know, don't just go off and say, I follow this person or I follow that person or do whatever. Follow Christ. Walk in the footsteps of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Like the Galatian and Corinthian believers, we also may tend to elevate some leaders and preachers and teachers and those who operate in the gifts of the Spirit to the same level as Christ. And we say, oh, you know, this person said this. And you know why we do that? Many times it's because we find in that person's, whatever they're saying, resonance with what we are thinking. So we come up with something, we think something, and then we find somebody who says something similar and we say, yep, that's the person I'm going to listen to. And again, it is important for us, it is beneficial for us to listen to and receive from a variety of preachers, teachers, commentators, scholars. We, we need to do that. I'm not at all suggesting that you don't listen to those that would minister the word of God. Right? By all means, do it. Learn, grow. Always seek to be growing and maturing in the Lord in all these ways. But, but, remember, you can always find someone who's saying or seems to be saying what you think, right? You can always find somebody who's, who just aligns right, right there with what you think. And you've got to ask the question, am I going to these sources to learn the truth, the truth, or am I going to these sources to learn their truth, or am I going to these sources to reinforce my truth, what I believe? what I think, the way that I think things should happen. You know? And we are we're very prone to do this. And we want support, right? We'll say, it's not just me. These people also think like this. These people also say this, right? We try to get some momentum behind us. See, all of us feel this way. You need to do this. It's peer pressure, Christian peer pressure. You know? So we, we are prone to do this. We're prone to elevate others around us because we're seeking agreement with what we think, with the way that we are thinking. So the question is not just are we going to these sources for those reasons, even more importantly, are we going to these individuals instead of going to Christ? 
Are we going to somebody else for prayer? I can't pray, you pray. Are we going to somebody else for a word of knowledge and a word of prophetic word from the Lord? I can't hear from God, you hear and tell me. Are we going to somebody else to say, you know, I have a friend who needs to hear the gospel, come talk to them. Right? Where, where are we depending or who are we following or who are we looking to? Are we going to Christ? Are we saying, Lord, I want to identify as a disciple of Christ. Not as a disciple of whoever, right? Fill in the blanks with whatever name. No. Am I identifying myself as a disciple of Christ? And you know, in our age of life, in our context, life by social media, if it's not on social media, it didn't happen. You know, it's, that's, that seems to be the mentality. It's telling that organizations and individuals who are trying to influence you in some way, they all want to get you to do what? To follow them. On Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram. Click follow, right? And you know why? Because when you follow, you're influenced. You can actually find posts out there that say 25 influential Christian leaders to follow on social media. Google it, you'll find that, right? And when you follow those people, you can definitely receive a lot of good. You can receive a lot of good things from those that you follow. But you must also be discerning. You must also be very careful about who you follow and why you're following them. Follow people, that's fine. You know, do that. You know, have, have plenty of social media contacts as I, I'm saying that slightly sarcastically, right? Um, uh, I don't think you can keep up with all of that, so be selective about it, but make that determination. Why am I doing this? Am I being discerning about what I'm following, what I'm looking at? Because ultimately, who you follow affects what you believe and subsequently what you trust, what you depend on. Which brings us to the second question, what are you depending on? Paul says that he is glad that he didn't baptize many of the Corinthians and that he didn't preach the gospel with wisdom and eloquence. And you look at that and you think, does he mean that baptism is not important? No. Very clearly, baptism is very important. And does it mean that he didn't willingly baptize people? He didn't do it joyfully? No, he did it wonderfully, you know, just with great enthusiasm. I mean, he's, you know, in the Philippian situation, he's in the Philippi, he's in the jail, and then the, the, there's the earthquake and everything else, and the jailer says, you know, what stops me, or, you know, I want to accept the Lord. And the Bible says that, that Paul and Silas baptized the jailer and his whole household in the middle of the night there with all his injuries and everything else that he had had, you know, He's enthusiastic about baptizing people. So, it's not that he doesn't think a baptism is important. Now, does he think or does he mean that he was entirely unwise in his teaching? That his teaching was foolish when he says, I didn't speak to you with wisdom? Right? Is he saying that he was not eloquent in his speech? That I, you know, I couldn't articulate the truth of God? Well, it's very clear from other scriptures, including what we read in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, 
to be excellent at what is good, that Paul indeed receives and shares the wisdom of God. And it's particularly clear, even from passages in Acts, that Paul spoke so powerfully, even before kings and governors, that they are convicted, they are, like, they, they are affected by what he is saying. So it's, there's no lacking of wisdom, there's no lacking of eloquence, there's no lacking of power in what he's demonstrating or, or speaking. But what he means when he says that he is glad that he didn't baptize many or preach to persuade by his words is that he is not relying on these means, these methods to affect people. And we'll get into some more scriptures on this particular truth, but he's saying it was not because I was eloquent. It was not because I was persuasive. It's not because I baptized you that now you're affected. You are affected by Christ. He's not depending on his skills or methods to bring about change. He is relying solely on the inherent power of the gospel, on the message of what was accomplished on the cross and on the life-transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his emphasis. He says, look, I, I spoke to you, I did all these things, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is that Christ and the cross are what are emphasized and what have made the difference for you. See, the question for us is this. What are we depending on to make a difference in our lives, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our family members, in the lives of our friends or neighbors or colleagues or anyone else? Are we depending on our good works? I'll show them how I'm living a holy life, a good life, you know, obedient life, and then they will be affected. Is it that we are hoping to impress people with our holy behavior, our holy living, our holy words, you know, and then because of that they will come to the Lord? Is it, is it that we're depending on our church? Just come to our church. Is it that we're depending on our denominations, our movements, our institutions, just be part of this, you know? Is it that we are depending on our culture, our traditions, our families? You know, see, this is the thing that we should emphasize. This is what's good. Is it because we have assisted somebody? We've baptized them, we've prayed for them, we served them, we were a blessing to them, so now they owe us something, they're obligated to us, and we can say, look, I did all this for you, now you come do this for me. Is that what we're depending on? Are we depending on pastors or leaders or ministers to speak eloquently? And we're saying, you just come and listen to this person. You just read this book. You just come and have this session, this conference, this whatever. Right? Are we depending on some other means by which people can be persuaded that they need a change of heart? Paul is saying here, and we'll see it again as we continue studying this book, instead of relying on anything that empties the cross of its power, we must depend on the message of Christ and him crucified. Instead of relying on anything else, he says it, it drains the power of the cross. We have to rely on the power of the cross. In this, it is the message of the cross the seemingly foolish message of the cross. 
It is the message of the cross alone that has the power to give anyone who believes that message a new identity. That by crucifying the old self, that the cross of Christ comes now to be of relevance in their own personal life. That by crucifying the old self and by being raised up as a believer to new life in Christ Jesus, that's the gospel message. That's the power of the gospel. That's the crux of what we're talking about. We're not talking about anything else. We're not draining the power of the cross. We're emphasizing the cross. Right? Sure. The attractions of the world may seem to be swaying people's hearts and minds. That, what they're interested in, what they're being enticed by, what they're paying attention to, is so attractive, so flashy, so exciting. And we think we have to compete. And we say, well, you know, if I go to that person and talk to them about the cross and Jesus dying on the cross, and uh, it just sounds terrible. I've got to give them some other message. I've got to give them something else that will compete for the attention. Because they're seeing and hearing all this stuff. And they're getting all this stuff from the world. And it's so enticing. And I've got to come up with something that is just as good. But here's the thing. If we try to compete with the attractions of the world, there will always be something bigger and better than what we can offer. You say, come to my church, there'll be another church or some other place, some other religion, some other movement, something else that seems better. You say, listen to my words, and there'll be somebody else who will be much more eloquent than you, who will have something that makes sense to them, who affects the, you know, the way that they should live. The reason we have gurus all over the world who are going all over the world and spreading all sorts of statements is not because they're not articulate. It's not because they're not eloquent. It's not because they don't have something that is appealing. People say, wow, this is great. So you try to compete with all of that? there will always be something bigger and better than what you can present. But, but, if we will trust the Lord that the simple and consistent gospel message accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we will trust the Lord that the message of the cross, as offensive as it may sound, that the message of the cross, as foolish as it may seem, that the message of the cross in its simplicity, that we will speak not because we have PhDs or anything else, but just we just simply share what the Lord's truth has been impressed upon us. If we will trust that that message can accomplish the purpose for which it is sent, it is sufficient. It is sufficient. So you see, we have to ask the question of ourselves. And when we get into the next sections in 1 Corinthians, you know, we're going to see a whole lot more about what Paul says about the power of the cross and why it is foolishness to some and stumbling blocks and you know, why it is that way and what he's saying about it. 
But this morning, I want to confront us with this question because when we hear this word and we say, Lord God, let me respond to this word, we've got to respond and apply by saying, what am I depending on? What am I depending on? Who am I following? Who am I putting up and saying, oh, this, this is what I'm doing? And who are we opposing on the other side? Because we say, look, I'm aligned with this person. Question for us is, are we gravitating towards those who think like we do, rather than gravitating to the truth? Are we seeking God's truth, even if it's different from what we think? Or do we skip over certain scriptures if we say, ah, I don't think this is quite in line with what I'm thinking. I'll just... Read the next verse. Are we living with others who think just like us in an echo chamber of our own desires and opinions? I think like this, I want this, I feel this, and I have 10 other people who think like me. We will reinforce each other's beliefs. We're not going to God's truth. We're going to our own desires and opinions. We're living in that echo chamber. What are we relying on to live victorious Christian lives? Is it the cross? Is it the instrument of death? The cross was not decoration, by the way. Right? It's, it was not necklaces and decorations on the wall. The cross was an instrument of death. We put it up now to remind us that we have to die. So... What is it that we are looking at? What is it that we are relying on? Are we maybe, maybe even intentionally or maybe even unintentionally draining the power of the cross? I, you know, it surprises me, it amazes me that the word uses these kinds of phrases. Jesus spoke of the traditions of men and he said, by your traditions you're making the word of God of no effect. And I think, wow. How is that possible? That we would by our traditions make the word of God of no effect. And here Paul says, by doing these things, by going in these ways, you're draining the power of the cross. And you think, how is that possible? But the point that he's making is that the way that the world around us hears and receives the truth of God is not just through a direct intervention of God as, as much as he may do that. It is through us. And so if we present a watered-down gospel, a weakened gospel, a drained-of-power gospel by saying, oh, I can't speak about this, it's too offensive, or if it's, it's too difficult, we are the ones who are presenting to others a weakened message, a drained message. Instead, he's saying, look, evaluate your ways. Consider what you're doing. Think of where you are and come to the Lord so that he can give you this strength and you will share that strength as it is. That's the call. That's the challenge. So this morning, I want to challenge you to this. I want you to just be in prayer during this week and saying, what am I depending on? And again, like I said earlier, 
I'm not at all saying to you, don't read anything, don't look at anything, don't you know, listen to someone. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, what are you depending on? Are you depending on things of yourself, things around you, things in your context, things from your past, people that you are holding up? What are you depending on? What are your things that you are saying, this is the reason why this is happening? And if it's anything other than Christ and the cross, maybe you need to evaluate that. Even as I pray and conclude, I want to just encourage you, and I'll pray, and you know, I'll encourage you, spend a few minutes in prayer today. Don't leave from here if you feel that you, don't, you can't without praying through this. Pray through it. Take time in the front, take time wherever. We can take our conversations out. But through the week, pray, ask. You know, I, I'm, I'm asking this question of myself. When I, you know, when I prepare, I'm thinking about this and I'm saying, Lord, what am I depending on? What am I holding dear? What do I need to let go? And how do I come to Christ and the cross alone? Heavenly Father, we thank you. That, Lord, your word is so relevant for us today. And I thank you, Lord, that we see from the example of the Galatians or the Corinthians that, Lord, we can tend to associate people and beliefs and institutions and everything else. We can tend to hold on to those things as being more important than your word and your truth and who you are. And I ask you, Lord, that we would be different, that we would look to Christ, and that we would present the message of Christ and the cross, the message of the gospel in its entirety, in its simplicity, without worrying about how it sounds, without, Lord, thinking, oh, this is so different and I don't know if people will receive this. We're not trying to make the palatable gospel, we're trying to make the powerful gospel, oh, just presented to people. Lord God, help us. Grant us grace to present your truth as it is and to trust you to move and to have your way to affect people's lives and to transform them. Lord, we want to see the body of Christ built up here in our local church and all over the world, in every single church. We want to see people joined into the body of Christ. But we don't want them to join the body of Christ for any other reason than they have known Christ and Him crucified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.